Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to the Reluctant Agilist. Dan Eberly's back. Dan, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, Dave. We're going to take on a very complicated, convoluted, I don't really know what to say, problem that was sent to me, which we've been trying to puzzle our way through. Um, this is a podcast that's going to center around the topic of there's people on my team that report to other people and people on my team who are in charge of people who report to other people, things like that. So if you're dealing with that, with resources that are conflicted or people that are conflicted, if you don't like the R word, um, actually, before we lay it out, Dan, would you mind telling these fine people who you are? Hi, my name is Dan Everly. Uh, I am a... Uh a forever student of Dave Pryor. Uh, Dave is actually one of the one of my first agile teachers way back when. Uh, anyway, I uh, I am currently a lean and agile coach at the New York Times, and uh, I also do some consultations on the side and do a bit of teaching of my own, and so on and so forth. Uh, so that's that's my whole bag and. Uh, and I especially have have an interest in things like um, organizational design, uh, and this is a big piece of today's problem, which I hope is why Dave, why you chose me to uh, to talk this over with you. Well, that is, but also I, I want to uh, give a shout out to the course that we're taking. So Dan and I are both enrolled in a course by Modus Cooperandi, Lean Agile Visual Management, and. It's been really amazing. I've been able to interact with Dan on the course, and I highly recommend it to anybody. How would you describe the course? So um, the Lean Agile Visual Management course, um, which they refer to as LAVM, yeah. uh, is it's best described as systems thinking for knowledge workers. So it's a, really applying the ideas of systems thinking um, and the use of visual artifacts, visual boundary objects to, to basically align groups of people dealing with complex work. So um, one of the interesting things about LAVM is that it doesn't really subscribe to any particular flavor of Agile or really, uh, you don't really need to know anything about Agile at all uh, because... The things that they're they're really zooming in on are the things that we all want. We all want to be uh, pointed in the more or less the same direction in terms of outcomes, and we want to have tools that can help us convey information to each other uh, to help us create something new, um, rather than burn all of our cognitive gas trying to bring each other up to speed. So it's really really awesome, powerful course. Uh, it has been. Uh, Next to Dave Pryor's courses, of course, uh, the <laughs> one of the mo most that was cognitive gas there. Th thank you. <laughs> but I'll just say that it, you know, of all the, and I've I've been through something like sixteen uh, different agile, you know, certification courses or something like that, and uh, I take them all, I, I consume them all, and um, and this one actually has been <laughs> arguably the most useful um, bits of information. Um, and and really has really helped to kind of level up the way that I that I work with with teams and groups and organizations and really see how like see entire systems, which is something that I don't think that I could have done in my sort of nascent agile career. So really big advocate of Jim Benson's course and um, highly recommend checking it out. 
Yeah, I feel like it's peeled a couple layers off of things that I didn't see before. Mm-hmm. Uh, which well, that's all the time for. we have for today. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So here's here's the setup for the problem. Um, this person is someone who took my class, and uh, he he introduced a problem at the very end of the class in the parking lot, and it was sort of hard to wrap my head around. But basically, in this organization, there's six managers. And there's 20 individuals who are reporting up to these six managers. The teams, they're broken up into a number of different teams, one to five people on the team. But the challenge here is that on team A, you might have somebody who actually reports to someone in the organizational structure on team C. And there might be somebody on team B who's in charge of people who are on another team. So there's these sort of, I don't know, cross connected individuals who, from a project standpoint, are actually you know marshaled under one team, or and and they're a little bit siloed still, but within the organizational structure, they have other people who are in charge of their salary reviews and things like that, and they're people managers. So um, that was what was presented, and there wasn't really a question at the end. <laughs> so mm. Dan said, "So what does he want?" I'm like, "I don't know. Make it better. He wants us to make it better." Um, so I think. Um, you know, the only thing that I can say, the name that we're supposed to use for our friend is Ivan. So the only thing I can say, Ivan, is just stop doing that, Um, which I don't know if you have that option. But Dan, do you want to give an initial reaction here? Yeah. Well, I'll just start by saying that in the uh, in the entrance, in the interest of visual management, it probably wouldn't hurt uh, in the show notes or wherever to kind of uh, post somewhere this visual that the picture that I drew. Yeah. So Dave uh, tried to take this email um, or whatever the sourcing was of the of the of the the problem statement. It's more of a problem statement than a question. Um, so Dave tried to make this. I don't know that you'd call this an org chart so much as just a visual representation of this organizational structure. And so this is what we're working off of. So this might be wrong, but this is seems like it's in line with what I read. So the yeah, I, I agree that there if we were going to try to make this better, there's basically kind of three, three different angles of view on this. One is um, organizational structure itself. How could we reorganize this in a way that would be a little bit more humane for everyone involved? Number two is this um, kind of uh, internal change management approach where how can I, how can I influence the, the members of this, this system of people to to kind of get aligned in a way yeah. where they can work better together, um, and then there's number three, which is sort of the individual personal risk management modality, which is to say, how can I survive this? What can I do in my little lane to make this work for me, and maybe work better for the immediate people in my sphere of influence? So it just kind of depends on Ivan's uh, appetite yeah. for what he'd like to take on. Um, and as, as well, it, it sort of has to do with, you know, what kind of influence he has. And there's a lot of different variables there, too, that we just we don't know about because we don't. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, we do know that there's people that have specific skills and they might be on, you know, I might have like three networking people and they're spread across these teams. But anybody who's in that situation, I think, is going to find a lot of challenges with the fact that, you know, I've got people on my team who I need to do certain things, but there's somebody else who's also pulling for their attention and incentivizing them to work on the other thing instead. So, 
I mean, this is something that I ran into a lot when I was first starting out. Like I'd get somebody like 30% allocated on a project, but the other 70%, which usually ended up being more like 90% was a stronger call or a stronger pull for them. So, you know, because organizationally that other project mattered more. So how do I actually get them to give me the time that I need? Or if, if I'm on a team and there's a person I'm working with who's also working on something else and I can't do my work without them. How do I do my work? Mm-hmm. How do we plan things out? There's a lot of, a lot of places to trip. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another way of looking at it is that it is a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's, it's fertile soil for, uh, for, for our agile gardening here. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that you mentioned is this idea of like being 30% sort of committed to this and, you know, 20% committed to that. Um, this kind of goes back to one of your favorite topics, Dave, this sort of Tayloristic approach to people management or to, to as, mm-hmm. yeah, as you mentioned, the, the R word, the human resource management. Um, do you think in your experience, and now we don't have to go down too far rabbit hole on this, but do you think that that works in knowledge work? No, it doesn't. But I think that as an interim step for somebody coming out of the traditional way of allocating people's time, that this situation that Ivan's found himself in is kind of understandable because if somebody came in and said, you have to have cross-functional teams and they're like, well, you know, I've got these four network guys. We're all on the network team. You want me to just split us up? Well, okay, but then we only have four people. We have six teams, so some of them are going to have to be on multiple teams. Yeah, right. Not not like not what I want long term, but as like a baby step, I can see it. So again, this is where we're kind of going into that territory that we we just don't have visibility into of whether this baby step has been the the only step over the last five years. A baby step that becomes burned into the cultural practice of the organization is really what I was thinking. Yeah. (laughs) Which is, which is more, I mean, in in my, um, and and Dave, you have much more sort of consulting experience, like hopping from place to place than I do. Plus you're like twice as twice my age. So um, (laughs) yeah, burned twice there. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> well, I would just say that it seems to me, in my casual observation, is that that phenomenon that you just described is more the norm than the exception. The yeah. idea that, and not just the allocation thing, but just the idea of sort of anti patterns, things we recognize don't work, yeah. <laughs> tend to get baked into the it's like uh, perma, you know, to organizational technical debt. Yeah. 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 I also um, want to just say, because mm-hmm. I've been thinking a lot about this, but you know, Frederick Taylor, God bless that man, because regardless of how much harm he did, think of how many jobs he created just by doing what he did. Not only did people all learn to work that way, but then all of us are spending decades trying to fix it. <laughs> it's true. He's had it? a massive impact. He has. He certainly has. <laughs> Well, as as you have said many times on the record that, you know, he solved a, a problem in his time. Yeah. Um, and every choice that you make, and this is actually a nice segue to get us back on track here. Every choice that you make has has trade-offs. There are going to be trade-offs. You know, the, mo- the most scrummy scrum team in the world that does it all right, just like in the guide, um, there are certain things they won't be able to do. 
um, because they've chosen this path. And that's not a bad thing. It's just reality. You know, um, if you want to be a, a gymnast, you're not going to have the physique of Arnold Schwarzenegger. You won't be able to bench press. Yeah, horrible gymnast. <laughs> Right, the worst. So, with that, <laughs> accepting that there will be trade offs, yeah. What one of the one of the things that I have tried to to evolve beyond in my sort of agile middle age as I approach it now is trying not to drag these systems where I think that they should go, and rather listen to them, listen to what the system wants to be. And this is getting a little system whisperer. Yes. And listen to the system and the system will tell you what it wants. And then, um, you know, you can reflect that back on the system and ask the system, Hey, do you mean this? Um, and then the system will maybe, maybe lie to itself or to you or, uh, or we'll say, yeah, yeah, that's really kind of what we're going for. And then, you know, as the, as the coach, the consultant, the, whatever you are, you can decide. And this is what I would say to Ivan, if, if he were here today, um, in this meeting, um, is, you know, d- does the, does that match you, you know, do you, is this the system that you should be in? Is this right for you? Yeah. Um, now that's, that's maybe that's, um, that's the, the fourth, um, angle of view on this is do I actually want to work here? Because it's what he describes is a very inhospitable situation, regardless of how you slice it. It's very hard to do your job when your colleagues are being yanked away from you right. and redeployed as if they were factory parts or robots. And, or and that's crappy for everybody, no matter where in the food chain you are, whether you're at the manager level or the team worker level, mm-hmm. it's going to suck because you're never going to, you're, you're fighting for table scraps all the time. So in light of all of this, um, as, as I see it, um, when I look at the situation, uh, there's a there's basically I'm going to say like three ish problems here that that we don't like three kind of red stickies that that we consider uh, not so good. Okay. Uh, one of them is that managers of some teams are individual contributors on other teams. So that in and of itself is a little weird. Yeah. Okay. So in other words, I'm just a, another an, another guy in the bullpen over here. But then I step out of here and I'm the boss of those people over there. Yeah. So that seems uh, kind of to what to dovetail on what you just said, Dave. That's that's kind of inhumane in both directions because it's hard for me as a boss to context shift to just be a contributor. Um, and also it's kind of taking away from because I kind of have two jobs, right? I'm managing people, I'm trying to help people become better versions of themselves and block them and help them through what they're doing. But I'm actually busy kind of, uh, yeah. you know, building the house with the, with these, with these well, folks. Like the, the, the pitching coach also plays left field. Right. Right. That's a tough one. That's yeah. a tough one. You're not going to do a great job at either of either those one of those. Right. Yeah. So, so that's, that's problem one. Problem two is managers who are contributing to other teams see problems, dysfunction, whatever. And because they have a little bit of power, they may, they may, and I don't know this for a fact, but I think this was suggested by Ivan, they may want to deploy their direct reports to help their fellow individual contributors. So, hey, I have people on my team that can help you with this. Let me let me contribute to this overarching problem and grab them and, and redeploy well, them over here. Or, or I'm a, I'm a manager of a team, but I'm also a contributor to other teams. My project that's getting done. Screw the other one. Oh, I see. Yeah, 
So Either there's one some, of those again, again, kind of a sort of a, a spin on personal risk management and sort of team risk management or reputational management. Um, but those those things that's not what we're going for in you know typical and and since I can say this in your presence, Dave, since we're both agilists, we're not like we're not completely agnostic. We have a, a take and a point of view, and that is to try to. And I'm just going to speak for you here, so feel free to contradict me. I think what we, you and I, both believe is that we want to foster environments, uh, shared commitment environments. That's basically at the the root of what we are trying to do. Yeah, I mean, uh, and and so you know, so the idea that we that there are parts of our our system, uh, you know, meaning this sort of system of people who are looking out for their people at the expense of other people, that feels like kind of antithetical to what we believe as agilists. Yes. Can I, I, I want to jump in because I had sort of a little brain squall and I want to throw this out and see if you, how you react to it. I have everything you just said, I agree with. And I think I'm looking at this strong and thinking, so these people are all kind of, it's like survivor. They're like pitted against each other, right? Mm. You don't get to eat if I get to eat. So systematically there's a problem here and yeah. that is that there's a lack of clarity in terms of priority so that to me like that what i would say to ivan is that's the very first conversation that i'd want to have with management is well of all these things we're trying to do which which are the most important because why don't we just put everybody behind those things and worry about the less important stuff later why why do we have to be split up into 16 Dave, I feel like for the last decade or so that I've known you, you've been saying some version of that. The same that, thing, yes. A little rhetorical. <laughs> Wait, I haven't even gotten to the part where I'm going to be repeating myself. <laughs> okay, I, go ahead. Sorry. So the other part was, I have an example of a place where this worked. So I tell this story in class. There was a team at a music streaming company that I encountered. They had 21 people on the team. They were a shared service. So they're taking, I think it was six different streams of work in the organization supporting a number of different products. And they had some specialized skills. They couldn't have a team for each platform. So mm -hmm. they worked as 21 people. They planned every sprint as 21 people. They would, they would break themselves up into sub-teams to deal with whatever work was coming. Mm -hmm. But because they did all their planning, all their retros, all their sprint reviews together, they were able to maintain like the culture of a cohesive team. Hmm. Um, they also, this is the team that had the lamb, the role of the lamb. Oh, so yeah, I love that one. The, the lamb was a, a rotated between the people on the development team and lamb was sacrificed every sprint. So they would deal with technical debt until there was a fire. But I mean, I'm just looking at this picture and I'm thinking, well, 21 people, this team only has 20 people. I mean, that, that could be a, a way to deal with it. If you had clear priority of the work that was coming up and this group of people you probably wouldn't even need six managers. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can get rid of some of these managers or let the managers be team members because it sounds like some of them are right. anyway. I mean, this is so, so Dave and I were talking about this before we came on and uh, I uh, quoted uh, or at least sort of paraphrased a, a Jim Benson quote um, that basically suggested that, that borders um, between teams or that hierarchy, all of these things are illusions and that we sometimes want to um, kind of keep that illusion alive at the expense of everything else. When they they can disappear, we can choose to cross those boundaries 
um, we can we can basically um, help help our our neighbor if we if we choose to. One of the things that um, I don't remember who I heard this from, but it's definitely not an original thought, is the idea of in this sort of is is along the lines of what you were just describing. The notion that our sort of team of teams can is more like a coral reef that can reconstitute to adapt to its environment. If we if we have these uh, these hard boundaries, swim lanes, silos, stovepipes, whatever, um, and we we honor them more than we honor the outcome, the shared commitment that we have, um, then we are basically putting processes and tools ahead of humans and, and interactions and, and the greater good. Um, and so we get what we pay for, but we yeah. can choose to not do that. And if we can focus on aligning around very specific um, outcomes, things that we want to see happen, not just, just uh, pie in the sky outcomes, but actual legit business outcomes, um, then it is possible to create a more cohesive um, kind of system of, of work among these people, regardless of whatever, wherever they happen to be in the org chart or hierarchy, but they have to want to do it. Yeah. These 21 people or 20 people have to want to do it. And if they don't want to do it, if they're happy in their, in their silos um, or they're just accustomed to their silos yeah. and they don't want to change or there is no, there is, there, there is no value in change. There's no value proposition for them. They're not going to do it. So all the coaching in the world, all of the agile, you know, um, <laughs> rhetoric and so on, like that's not going to fix this. These people have to want something better, which I think is, I think we're getting to at least one of the possible paths to a solution here. So they could effectively just put down their weapons and all agree, like we're just one team. We have to find a way. I mean, yeah, (laughs) that's, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. And there's lots and lots of ways for us to engage that conversation. And that is where, you know, good, facilitation, some different tools, some understanding of how to deal with a large group of angry or frustrated individuals can really, really help. Yeah. Um, but there has to be a desire for change underpinning all of it. And Otherwise, on, And on all sides, that's the thing. Cause yeah. when Dan and I were talking about it beforehand, I was thinking, well, yeah, if I'm, if I'm the underling, I can say, well, yeah, you know, this is just an illusion. But if I'm the person with the big corner office, I'm like, the hell it is. Yeah. <laughs> I got a big <laughs> office. Um, you know, there's another thing there, though. And, I, and, you know, this this idea when you mentioned this before, the idea like that this is the conversation I'd have with management, dot, dot, dot. So one of the things that I see a lot in a lot of organizations and something that I think is a recent epiphany for me and, and maybe isn't again, maybe the, maybe I just discovered water or the wheel or something, but um, you know, one of the, <laughs> yeah, I just discovered this. Um, but one of the things that um, one of the reasons why companies of all sizes seem to gravitate toward agile and agile coaching and stuff. I don't think it's because they love agile. I think it's because um it doesn't scale to have basically a line manager in every pot. Um, you know, a, a Frederick Taylor, uh, yeah. in every, you know, for every two people with it, you know, it's, that's a lot of overhead. 
That's yeah. a lot of managers. And, and so, so you kind of need some way to get people to kind of look after themselves and, and help themselves out and help each other out. That scales better. You know, real hands-on management doesn't scale very well. It's just, it's just too much stuff for people to do. Yeah. So um, I, go ahead. Well, one, one last thing is that, so, so there's one thing of like, okay, well, maybe there, maybe there's a situation where management likes how things are, right? My corner office, I like it. It's nice. I don't want to change anything. Um, or I don't care what they're doing down there in the engine room. They can do whatever they want. Doesn't matter. They'll get it done. Okay. So that's possible. Another possible thing, and this is something, again, that I, that I see a lot, especially lately, is that management can't change things, that they are not able to do it. This is kind of another way of saying what I just said, is that, that they literally do not know how or do not literally have the power, or maybe right. they don't actually exist. The gumption. Could be a gumption thing. Sometimes it's it's literally <laughs> like deficit. We, we don't have the authority to change anything. Like perhaps power has been so dissipated <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that there is no one who can actually kind of steer the ship anymore. And now we're just sort of angry mob. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So so that's another thing is that if if we're in a situation where no one is really leading, um, then that this sort of as I gesture. Uh, to take my word for it, I'm gesturing t- toward this this org thing that you this this organization piece of design. artwork. Yeah, this beautiful <laughs> thing that you've made, Dave. I just I wonder if there is management. I mean, yeah, these people are certainly like doing their managery things. Yeah, their, but I don't know if there's actual management happening. That and that to me is where it all goes back to priority. Like if there, if that was clear from above, this is where we have to be figure it out and here's the things in order of importance then you'd figure it out like i i feel like i i don't really have any advice for the person on the team who's getting yanked in three different directions because that just sucks yeah and i don't have any advice for somebody who's a manager and is being told okay um you know here's here's what you have it's not sufficient to get this job done oh and by the way you're being judged on whether or not you get it done anyway yes it's just crappy all around so that's the part where i kind of i think i'm in in agreement with you and that i would get all these people in a room and be like look this sucks for every one of us and i think the first thing is can you establish trust that everybody wants it to be better and we'll work together because the one thing that would make it really collapse is if 19 of these people are like yep we're all going to do it together and the one was like <laughs> sure we are and then they did something to like tip it over so they could win um, yeah but can they i mean does that even really like that that's a that is a frequent i have a frame. lot of belief in people's okay. ability to just tip over the apple cart for their own good fortune hmm. <laughs> okay <laughs> Well, you know, this is one of those things. I mean, and and Dave is is constantly teaching Scrum or reteaching Scrum to people who are already on teams that are doing something like that uh, or not at all. And and they frequently and I've been in a bunch of your classes, Dave. And I there's always like the at least one person in the back of the room with their with their cell phone reading you their emails that they just got. And what do I do here? And what do I do here? Yeah. There's so the helplessness is everywhere. And ultimately, what we're talking about here is getting people together to have the same conversation at the same time and then convert 
whatever it is that they have learned, discovered, or agreed upon into meaningful action. So you just said something that really struck a chord with me, that the helplessness is everywhere. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I feel like people come in and they just like, what's the answer? What's the answer? What's the answer? I'm like, what? doesn't it doesn't work like that i think people do feel helpless and they don't have to yes i guess and what world do you want to live in and that goes back to that you know should you quit your job question um Mm -hmm. do you want to live in a world where that's the way people are treated or do you want to either build or find a world where they're valued and where you can be good at what you do i think you and i've both been really lucky in that we found places where we're able to fit in that way. But a lot of people haven't found that yet. It's true. And, but I, you know, just, just to kind of reiterate your point there, there is that, that helplessness, that learned helplessness that we're talking about where, I mean, I've had everyone from the VP level and beyond all the way down, obviously to people on delivery teams say, ah, I can't do anything about this. This is just terrible. What do I do? (laughs) Which I love. Like if, if you don't know, and you work there and I don't, how the hell should I know what you should do? But the truth is, is that a lot of times the, the maybe not the obvious solution, but the path to the solution is yeah. the thing to look for. What are the leverage points? And and not just and the, you know here's the thing is that individually we're all helpless. If if we if we just try to solve problems on our own, if we do things all by ourselves, if we think about things all by ourselves. We are helpless. If we even if we team up with our our um, you know our, our buddies and we have uh, what I lovingly refer to as gripes on the ones only people in New York will get that joke. Um, you know, <laughs> thank you, thank you for the mercy laugh. Um, that <laughs> it's still kind of a it's just recirculating a sense of helplessness and that we can't do anything. The truth is that the the most common question that I get along the lines of what, what you just um, mentioned is, okay, I need to, I, I'm on a team and we work with like these other teams and there is no forum for us to just like work things out together, like across yeah. teams. What do I do? How can I do this? And I'm like, dude, you just said it. You Go to lunch, to have a it. meeting. Pick up yeah. your damn phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, do, pick pick a a way to do this and do something immediately and you do it and it's like we can all do this and the truth is is that more often than not if you actually go outside of your comfort zone and you actually communicate with people not to argue your point but just to actually discuss what's going on um what you see what you think it means ask them what they think it means just having those kinds of conversations has a way, it's the beginning of a generative learning, group learning. Yeah. And that's really the thing that we're going for in an in, in agile or even an agile adjacent organization is a learning organization that can respond to change and kind of roll with the punches. And most of the impediments not only are self-inflicted organizationally, like in this case, but also people impede themselves because they say, oh, I, I you know, who, who can I talk to to do this? Dude, you, you don't need to talk to anyone, but the the people that, that yeah. you need to talk to just do yeah. it. And, and so, completely. yeah, but what I was going to say is that if you do that, if you, if you can find a handful of early adopters who are interested in at least discussing and debating uh, what is going on, what it means and ideas of what we could do next, the apple cart people that you mentioned before, the one 
uh, jerk that is working against everyone else. Um, they might come, they might come around or they might realize that, oh yeah, this isn't the kind of environment I want to be in. Um, yeah. but, but they're not going to be there forever. The people who are committed to trying to make the world a little bit better for themselves and their colleagues, that has real power and, and resilient power. It can be yeah, done. momentum. Yeah. 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 This is great. So I guess Ivan, our advice is get everybody together and talk about what you can all do together to make this better. Don't try to fix it on an individual level, right? That's exactly right. Ivan needs to have this conversation. Took us 40 minutes to get to that one sentence. <laughs> well, it was there was a lot of there was a lot of we had a, lot of, we had a lot of things we wanted to say. Um, this was cool. Dan, thank you for doing this. My pleasure. Thank you for for saying a few things too while I was talking. <laughs> if people if people want to get in touch with you to learn more about the work that you're doing um what's the best way to reach you uh the best way to reach me lately is on linkedin um so i am dan eberly e-b-e-r-l-e and i'm i'm i love talking to people feel free to reach out um i have been kind of taking a break from my regular uh, sermonizing that I that I do online. I tr was trying to do something every other week for a while, uh, and I've taken a break because I've been working on a film. Um, and then at the other end of that project, I'm actually going to be introducing some some use cases where we've used a lot of these uh, lean and agile tools, uh, and particularly around visual management, how we've used them in in a big monster cross functional creative endeavor, i.e., making a feature film. Uh, so we'll get um, sort of something, uh, you know, a different angle on on how agile teams can work together uh, outside of software development, which is a, a big uh, fascination for me generally. That'll be cool. When that's ready, yeah. we should definitely do another interview about it. Sweet. Thank you. And I'm going to include a link to the Modus Cooperandi site as well in case people want to check out the course. And if you look at my drawing, you should in no way consider that to be a reflection of what we've learned in the course. That was just me scribbling, trying to figure crap out. Um, so Dan, thank you. And Ivan, I hope that helped. If you've got any questions you want to send in, um, a problem you're stuck on, let me know. You can send them. My link will be in the show notes. You can send them in and I'll set it up for a podcast. So thank you for listening. Have a good one, Dave. You too. Yeah.